Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend your time with us. I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and to empower people, especially adults, to own their voices and talents that come in so many different forms. This space was created to talk to people with all different kinds of jobs, hobbies, and interests, and to have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. How do you define creativity? How do you incorporate it into your life? And why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to speak to so many. I've spoken to musicians, comedians, doctor, lawyer, wrestlers, Reiki masters, and entrepreneurs as young as 13. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as that magic spark, how we show up in our life, imagination, basically all that we are and want to be, do, or have. So I believe from my heart that sharing these stories gives one the ability to expand their thinking, open themselves up for more self-expression, to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Eugene DeGeorge. Eugene, welcome to the space. Uh, Hollis, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate uh, your spending some time on this uh, sunny afternoon. Still a little chilly for the end of April, but you know, I guess we'll take it as it comes. Yes, well, so happy that you're here and can't wait to dive into this topic of creativity with you. So before we dive into the first question, I am going to ask you a would you rather question. And then and then we are going to learn more about who you are. Um, So, Eugene, would you rather eat ice cream or cake? Oh, wow. (laughs) Can I say both now? <laughs> yes, this is a creative show. You can say anything you want. <laughs> oh, ice cream or cake. You know? I guess at this point in my life, I'd probably go with the ice cream. Why do you say that? Why at this point in your life? Uh, you get older, your metabolism changes, and all the sugar in the cake would kind of like throw me for a little bit of a loop. But the ice cream goes in, no pun intended, but maybe <laughs> it goes down a lot smoother. <laughs> <laughs> You could also have an ice cream cake. Ooh, that's even better. Yeah, sure. There you go. Now we got to reframe the whole question. <laughs> There's the compromise. Would you rather have ice cream cake or an ice cream cake? <laughs> <laughs> so I got so excited here and talking to you with the idea of talking to you that I forgot to ask you. Um, we're doing things a little bit backwards. Tell us a little bit more about who you are. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, that's a good question. Does anybody know who they really are? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're getting philosophical. Yeah. Yes, you know, I'm, I, I come out. That's the way I. Uh, my wife always says, uh, "You're like an onion." I've known her for forty years, and we've been married for. Well, be, our anniversary is May third, thirty-six years, and she says, "You know, you're like an onion. Every time I peel a piece of you off, there's another piece right behind it." He's like, <laughs> so after forty years, she still hasn't figured me out. So I figured maybe that's good. That's so amazing. Answer, yeah. It's so when not you say, boring. yeah, well, back to, yeah, yeah, that, but when, that, so when you ask the question, I'm being again a little philosophical and humorous at the same time about, 
well, who are you? And that's a good question. You know, I keep trying to figure that one out myself, but I know what you're asking me. It's just give me some uh, basic historical background. Um, so let me take a deep breath. And if I can get through this. Uh, <laughs> okay, so first uh, uh, to let the audience know, since they can't see me, I am a boomer. There you go for all you millennials and Zers and Xers out there. Um, born in 1953. Um, what can I say? The, the typical uh, growing up kind of thing. Um, uh, went to college, Montclair State College in New Jersey. Now it's a university. Uh, did major in English, but I also had a, and then after that, I went to uh, try to get an, M, an MBA in business, but uh, like everything else, uh, I just got married at that time and uh, had no money to pursue that, so that kind of ended. Um, fast forward, yeah, my first marriage ended in 1981 after four years, and um, and then a few years later, I met Susan, who's my my wife now, and uh, and that's how we had Sarah, our daughter. Um, during all that time, I've always been a writer. I always liked writing, even when I was in grammar school. I had this sort of, I wouldn't say I was drawn to it, but I just had this thing that I liked it, you know. And then eventually, as I got older, I said, oh, I really enjoy this. And uh, um, when I was in college, let's say, um, I did some more. I tried to be a little more serious. I was an English major. I used to send short stories out to the New Yorker and the Atlantic. Uh, again, I grew up in Northeast Jersey, right outside of New York City. Uh, so the, New York was not far away from me. I went, to, I went to high school in Newark, but I grew up in a town called Belleville. And that... I guess was always there, but nothing came of it. Again, flash forward, uh, got into the workforce, worked here, there, and then eventually ended up uh, working a family business. My family was in construction and property management. And I did that for 20 years, but I always had the feeling of writing and um, I did get back to it um, sometime in the, uh, let me see, 80, about mid to late 80s. I, that's when I wrote short novel, novella, which is one of the first books I got published, self-published really, Reaching the Plateau, which about a group of workers and the whole, the whole theme of that is the American dream. We here in America have this thing about, you know, the American dream. I don't think any other country has that. You know, I hear anybody talk about the Canadian dream or the Australian dream, mm -hmm. but it's the American dream, which is, you know, my family was that. My, my uh, grandparents were not born in this country. They came over and uh, sort of like third generation. It was always, well, you got to reach a goal, do better, blah, blah, blah. And that's what it's all about. Sort of like frustrations and whatever that people have working in a small company. And it's, you know, um, but I always, and, and, and I also, so I, uh, nothing much came of that, you know. Uh, two things happened and now I'm going to get a little personal here. I hope I'm not going on too far. Um, we're going to answer this and then we're going to dive into our first question and then learn more about you. Okay, let me so just go ahead, go, so finish that thought. Let me yeah. just wrap up. Uh, I'm trying to kind of speed it up a little bit as to how I got to from there to here. Because we'll uh, learn but, more after the next question. Okay. Um, yeah, but, but go ahead. Uh, that's when I got into, uh, so after that, I always had this writing. It was, some of it had been written down and everything, but some of it was just all in my head, you know, and at one point, um, I just decided that, okay, I think it's time to maybe, maybe after the, the, the short book got published. So I, 
I said, well, let me try to put this other stuff together. And I started doing that. And that uh, came about, I had two, I had enough for like one bigger book or two. And I said, let me break it up into two smaller books just for the hell of it. Cause like, hey, now I have three instead. Of, but uh, after the first book came out, I realized the second book would just be, again, these are two books of poetry, would just be a rehash of the first. So I, the second book, which is the one that just came out, Waiting for the Train, um, I wanted to take it in a different direction. So I put some more newer stuff. So um, it kind of brings me up to date to where I'm at now in a way. Okay. And, uh, um, but the thing that really was the, was the I guess the, the one kicker is that this whole concept of digital publishing, which wasn't around. I mean, in the old days, you sent a book to a publisher and if they liked it, fine. And, and at this day and age, unless you're really, really established, you know, like a Jim Patterson or a Stephen King or somebody, you know, or um, uh, Janet Ivanovich or somebody, mystery writer, stuff like that, you know, um, nobody wants to know you. So when digital publishing came about, I looked into it and I said, hey, well, let me check this out. This might be a route. And uh, it turned out that uh, it, it does work. The yeah. way of getting your stuff out into the marketplace, or at least out there, so that it's just not you sitting someplace in your room and you say, well, this is really great. I have this manuscript here, but that's about as far as it goes, you know? Right, right, right. It's taking it to the next step. So it's really yeah. out there. So uh -huh. let's dive into the first question and then we'll learn more about you. Um, okay, fire away. We'll, we'll hear more of your story. So, uh, so Eugene, how do you define the word creativity? Uh-huh, now there is another good question. We're getting philosophical again. Thank you, uh, yes. Um, how do I, I don't know, how do you define creativity? Um, I'm gonna answer that with, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, there's two ways of, uh, you've heard of deductive reasoning, right? Which is something that's like what all like what Sherlock Holmes did or what Columbo did. You take all of that, you take the, the big, and it comes to the small and then you find out who the murderer was, you know, and if it was the butler or whatever, take all of the, now inductive reasoning is the opposite. You take this and you go out to the bigger sphere of things. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little different concept because most people don't, they know, everybody knows what deductive reasoning is. What's creativity to me is you take something that's personal and you take that and you add something that brings it out to a bigger, what's the word not a bigger audience but a bigger vision so you take this concept of whatever it might be and you and you try to put it into a, a framework of something that's bigger than just a, an ordinary uh, individual experience if that's possible you know i don't know if that's clarifying what creativity is but to me that that's sort of what it is you know um that's the whole point of this conversation the whole point of this conversation that I've spoken to over 200 people asking these same three questions that we're talking about, that we're going to be talking about, is to hear people's different perspectives and stories. Because we all come with our own experiences, we all come with our own visions and versions of the truth or whatever you want to call it. So <clears throat> it's so interesting. Um, I love you mentioning deductive and inductive reasoning and putting it out there in a bigger sphere. You know, yeah, bigger beautiful. Yeah. And most people, you say, what's inductive? You say, oh, what's deductive reasoning? Oh yeah, I know, but what's inductive? And that's the opposite. <clears throat> and that's what a lot of, 
whether it's a writer or a painter or a singer, anybody, you know, you take something, but you have to, but you add something to it that makes it bigger than, than what it is. Um, uh, what's that all saying about the, the sum is bigger than the total, the sum of its parts or the, something like that. It's like all the parts are, are actually, that's the opposite, like the, all the parts is what makes the total, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like putting so, a, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. So it's like, it's like a puzzle, you know, it's like, you know, you have to put all the pieces together before you get the whole picture there, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you can put one piece, but that's not gonna do you much good. And I guess most of, yeah, uh, I'm gonna throw in sort of a metaphor here, but yeah, most people, and it's just not a criticism, it's just the way the nature of, of life and of existence is that we get, into that whole framework, you know, again, going back to even myself, you know, get to work and all of a sudden you forget about all this stuff. And then suddenly your life is just this one, two or three pieces of your life and the creativity isn't there uh, so that you have those three, but that's it. But you're not looking at the whole thing anymore. All the other pieces, you know, have kind of gotten lost uh, in your lifetime, which is, you know, unfortunate. What you just said, I think is so, 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 so important, which is why I do what I do, um, is you just said from what I heard okay. that within this whole idea of this puzzle, uh -huh. you said there are all these pieces to the puzzle basically in order to create the vision. But so often people get stuck on one to three pieces as opposed to all of the pieces to put together this bigger vision, to put together this whole, and then people often, from what I see on my end is people get frustrated, people yes. get depressed, they get angry, all of these bad feelings because all of these pieces are missing in their life that aren't really put together into this bigger vision of what they want. Because for so many reasons, there could be like, well, I'm not worthy of that. I really don't know what I want because I haven't taken the time for myself to actually try different things and mess up and and not be perfect at everything, but just enjoying the experience. There's so many reasons why people have one, two or three pieces when there's really a hundred piece puzzle. I think it's like I said, it's just the nature of life. You know, it's been written about so many times over and over, but it's, you know, you get sucked into that. You know, you go to college, you come out of college, you go to school, the next thing, oh, you got to get a job, you get a job. You have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, up. Oh, you get married, and it's like that whole thing. And it's like what you don't realize is uh, each time you take another step, you think you're uh, moving towards something, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But it, now this is that. Now some people to that, that's perfectly fine. That's what they want. Some people want to have that. They want to get a good job, have a family, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. That's absolutely, I'm not knocking that at all, because I know a lot of people in the creative kind of, they always kind of like make uh, light. Oh, that's it if that's what you want but if you're a creative person and that's the problem if you're a creative person it gets fried because it's like well what do i do you know how do i i myself what i'm talking to you about it may never have happened but sometimes um, now i'm going to expand that or that a little bit is like you always got to and i this is what i tell people i say well what do you have any advice well the thing is do what you have to do but always keep the dream alive inside of you because the minute you the minute you get rid of the dream. The minute you finally write it off, oh, that's it, it's never, I'm not gonna bother. Well, then the dream is dead. But if you keep it alive, you never know what's gonna be coming around the corner. 
like I said, with me, I just figured, oh, this is never going to happen, and it never would have if I didn't. And you have to always be, you know, perceptive and see what's happening. And when it came to this whole thing about digital pub, I never heard about it before. And but then I was smart enough to say, let me let me look into that, you know. And that's what really was uh, the one of the catalysts that got things going. And then I says, okay, maybe this is a way to do what I wanted to do. Now, granted, my books are self-published, but they get out there. I'm on Amazon, I'm on Kindle. So it's like, all right, uh, I'm not being published by Macmillan or you know Viking Press or something, but it's out there and who knows? As I tell people, uh, 50 years from now, maybe somebody will be looking at my stuff and saying, hey, wow, this, this wasn't too bad. I wonder who this guy was. Then again, maybe not, but one never knows. Um, but it's a matter back. of talking about it. You have to talk about it and yeah. you have to tell people about it like we're doing right now, which is what exactly. all these things are. <laughs> you took the words people, out of my mouth. For this people exactly to know it. about it. Like, yes, this is the first step. This is the beauty of the age that we're in now that yeah. you can work with an indie publishing house, you can publish yourself, you can, yes. but you're taking the step to get it out and there. Nothing, yeah. And there's and, nothing negative about it. In the old days, um, doing that would be sort of a negative with the exception of poetry. nobody publishes that anymore. So everybody figures you're gonna have to self-publish. You don't, but anything else, uh, this is this is the new way of, of, of doing it. And, uh, and it's not an ego, it's like some people, um, how do I put it? Think that, oh, well, you're on some sort of an ego trip. Oh, wow. Oh, I had this podcast with Hollis. And, uh, oh, you know, I said, no, I said, that's the way it's done. You know, you have to put yourself out there or else then you're not doing anything further. You're taking the next, next step, which is, okay, I wrote it. Now I've gotten it self-published, but now what do I do? I got lucky because I have a daughter who has her own public relations business. And she's the one that basically set this whole thing up for me as well as another couple of other interviews. So in that respect, um, if I could say, you know, there's also, as with anything in life, there's also a little bit of luck that's involved too. And, you know. There is, but at the same time, it's, it's so much of mindset work that yeah. like, you you luck sometimes. Yeah. like you, like you mentioned, like people be like, Oh, you're talking about yourself too much. Well, I wrote a freaking book. Like I wrote a book, not just to sit there and for nobody to see it. I wrote it because it's sharing and it's not coming from an ego. It's coming from a place of inspiring. It's yeah, coming from it. a place, like you said, of inductive reasoning, of taking it to a bigger vision. You have this vision and you are taking it into a bigger space. So I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. Sure. Um, so here you went to school, you were an English major, you ended up in the family business construction still didn't stop your writing you were you were doing stuff with the business um but you were still writing and then tell us about then some health issues happened uh yeah i was going to say when i was talking before about two things happened the one thing was uh, of course like i said the digital publishing the second thing was uh that was just on april 23rd i always marked that as my day of embarkation but on april 23rd 1999 i was only 44, maybe 45, 46. Anyway, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, um, which unfortunately these days people think, oh, that's no big deal. I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. I was treated with radiation for two whole months and was told that they couldn't be guaranteed, they couldn't guarantee me anything because it had, it was an aggressive cancer. They said, well, three to five years from now, we don't know where we're gonna be. And now 23 years later, I'm still kicking. 
I've gone from stage one to stage four, which means it's metastasized to distant parts in my body. Uh, I do get treatments every four months. In fact, I have another one coming up next week. Um, so, but thankfully, uh, it's still being held in check. And that was the second thing because I said, well, all right, Gene, <laughs> um, two things. I says, if you don't do it now, then it may never get done. And um, the second thing, in fact, that was, I remember a little story going back to about keeping the dry, dr dream alive. I always thought, well, this is what you want to do. And then when that happened, I said, well, okay, what are you going to do now? You can either, you know, say, well, it's never going to happen or do it. But if you say it's not going to happen, and this is where you have to, I guess it's a personal thing you say, but then don't look back and say, oh, I, I could have done this, but this happened, that happened, you know, I was married, I got divorced and that uh, screwed me up or I did this and that happened and I got the cancer and that happened. He says, you have, a, you have an opportunity right here, right now to do something. If you don't do it, look in the mirror, it's all on you, mm. nobody else. You can't blame anybody, any situation or nothing. It's all you and then you make that decision. And that's when I said, no, I'm going forward because, you know, I couldn't, after all of this time, I said, you spent the whole lifetime with it. You're just going to just trash the whole thing. You know, I says, you have an opportunity now. And uh, that's when I made the move. And that's why we're talking today. <laughs> Which is so freaking inspiring, I have to say. So first of all, congratulations. I, sh I don't know if it's congratulations, but April 23rd, 23 years later, like, mm -hmm you're a rock star and obviously you're meant these, these stories are meant to come out and you didn't become a victim. You decided to move forward and take it, take the reins and be like, okay, so tell us a little bit more. So here you are working in the family business. Um, yeah. This diagnosis happened. Mm -hmm. Did you start to write more while you were still working in the family business or was there a break in that? Um. Yeah, it's sort of like an up and down kind of thing. Uh, I was writing in college, then I got married, then I kind of lost track there for a while. Like yeah. I said, then four months, four years later, uh, that marriage broke up, and I guess I started writing a little bit again because I had a lot of time on my hands. And then I got back, and then I had to get back on track about, you know, well, then I met, you know, Sue, my current wife, and you get once again back on the track of, well, uh, what are you going to do now? Okay, get married again. We have a kid now. I got you now that becomes your primary focus, and uh, um, but I did keep, like I said, I kept writing, uh, never knowing well if it, you know, at that point I guess maybe my mindset was well, let me just write it down. At least I'll have it here and you know for myself. But um, I guess it was just that I don't know. Maybe there was also a sense that maybe something was going to happen later on in my. I don't know, but I just kept doing it. I just figured, well, there's no sense just keeping it inside. Let me get it out and on paper and see where it takes me. And, uh, and it was always there. And then things died off again. Uh, that's when I had the cancer diagnosis, but I had it all there. And then, like I said, when it brought up again, uh, came up again, I said, what am I, when I, again, that the cancer part, then when the digital publishing came along, I said, what about that? And that's when I realized, well, this is, this is that moment in time that, you know, uh, Sometimes we will wait for, and sometimes we miss it because we aren't, you know, I said, wow, okay, I have the, I have the tools here and I have something here, but I still have to put it all together. 
It wasn't like, oh, everything was sitting here waiting for that to happen. I had to jump in there with both feet and say, okay, now let's take it to the next uh, level as far as that was concerned. I don't know if that explains the question, but or answers the question, as the case may be. Hold on, Hollis. Oh, that was me. I apologize. I was coughing before. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? I unmuted myself. Yeah, okay. We're back on. Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry about that. That was my fault. I coughed okay. and I muted myself. Um, okay. So there's two things that I really appreciate what you just said, which oh. is, um, hold on, let me just make a mark. Sure. Edit. Okay. Edit. I don't know how far in we are, but okay. About 37 minutes. Um, I love that you said, no sense keeping it inside. So you were like, I'm just going to write because as we know, life happens. And when life happens, they're real stuff. They're real stuff like divorce and then figuring out your emotions and kind of where you are, which is actually a whole bunch to write about. But we often get so stuck in ourselves that it kind of paralyzes us. Um, and then you got your diagnosis, which is a whole other realm of things. And then new love and then a child, like life is life. So there could be a million excuses for reasons of not to do something. But then here you said something to the effect of, we wait for these things to happen, but then sometimes we miss it. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah. there's so much poetry in that because it, it's somebody saying like, well, why doesn't this happen for me? Why doesn't, why doesn't it happen for me that I can get published? I don't yeah. understand. But then there could be this glimpse of an opportunity that pops up, but you're so caught in the fact of, why isn't this happening that we miss it? Exactly. And sometimes we do it to ourselves. We'll just say, ah, uh, I'm not that good at ah, this. You know, what I do isn't really good. And then we, but you never know. I always say some, that's, maybe that's where a little bit of, I don't know if it's ego, but it's not ego. It's just belief in yourself, you know, to say, um, hey, my life has worth and meaning. Um, and um, I'm just not going to let this uh, just, uh, I guess, you know, I don't want to get too personal here because it's like, you know, um, okay. share what you want to share. This is a, I've always been an this individual is a safe space. Yeah. I've always been a very individual from my, from when I was younger, you see, my mother was not a well woman. Uh, she was uh, diagnosed with some illnesses. And in, in those days she was in for shock treatments. We're talking late fifties, early sixties now. And she was gone for an entire summer. And even though I had an older brother and a younger sister, I was sort of like the typical little child. My old brother was older. He was off doing his thing. My younger sister was being taken care of. So I was sort of left to my own devices. So here I am, this little kid, you know, having to make his own lunch and do this and all that. So all my life, I've sort of always had to rely on myself. So um, um, as, as I go later on, then later on in life, uh, again, after my first marriage uh, was ended, uh, the same thing. It was like, I always relying on myself. So um, as a result of that, I think that's where it is kind of like, you have to have, oh, that was my, you have to have belief. And the reason I say that is because when that happened, when my first marriage ended, which was many, many years ago, this is ancient mm -hmm. history, but I remember at one point, again, these are things in your life. Um, I could have been overwhelmed by it. And, you know, naturally, of course, all of a sudden you say, oh my God, what happened? This is gonna be, you know, 
till death to you part and all that. And all of a sudden, four years later, kaboom, you know, my wife found somebody else, you know, whatever. I didn't get into that. But the point was, I'm not going to let this get me down. I says, why should I destroy myself? I said, I could go out and become a drunk and an alcoholic or a drug addict or do whatever. I says, you know, if somebody doesn't want me, well, to hell with them. That's their choice. But I have worth as a human being, as an individual, and I always have been, and I just relied on that. And so that's what sort of always sustained me through all these low periods. And again, it comes back to the writing. So when the opportunity came, I was sort of maybe ready for it because my whole life beforehand had always been to rely on yourself. Don't blame anyone or any other situation. It goes back to what I was saying about, it's up to you. It's on your plate and you yeah. do it. And uh, and it doesn't always work out. I mean, there are other things mm -hmm. that I did besides the writing that I want and they were failures, but you know, and that's another thing, just keep on plugging along because uh, as I always say, you never know what's gonna be around the next corner. You know, where you're at right now might be a, you, know, you may think it's a dead end and then you go around the corner and all of a sudden something, and, and you have to be perceptive enough to know that, you know, but if you're gonna just kind of collapse into yourself, you'll, you'll mm. then, then that's, that's sort of, again, it goes back to the, uh, always keeping the dream alive. Once that happens, then the dream dies and there I say it, then you die too, you know, not physically, but internally, you just die. Uh, I it's so, yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up because it's so, 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 so important and people need to hear it over and over again. And people may think, oh, I've heard that a million times, but you know what? There's a time when it clicks yeah. because it resonates, because it really, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Because when, when your dream dies and whatever that dream is, whether it's a dream of having a dog to a dream of having a multi-million dollar business, whatever it is, once you lose sight of it and kind of forget about it, and like you said, you don't give the worthiness and all that stuff gets in the way and kind of erases it, then you're just not a happy person. No. And you always have to... like. I think you're almost psychoanalyzing me now, or maybe I'm doing it to myself, but, but I've always been a forward think forward thinking person. So I'm not one that lives in the past because the past is gone. In fact, in some of my poems, I always talk about past, present, and future. And I think one of the poems said like the past is history. And then it said the present is agony, but the future is fantasy, but it's sort of like you have to live in all three. And I guess to me, I was always a, a forward looking person I'm always thinking about what the future would bring not that I'm you know oh pie in the sky but just that you know yeah. um sometimes if you're in a bad situation that may be it is so you know the whole I, I used to joke about people that said live in the moment I go well suppose the moment is excruciating you want to be there you want to take that moment and move forward with it you know and I've always been like that so mm. life and life is like that I mean I hate to use a stupid metaphor but it's like whether it's a you know, a TV or like a DVD player or anything, you know, there's no pause in life. There's no rewind uh, and there's no fast forward. Well, there could be, but <laughs> there's mm -hmm. only, you, you just keep moving forward. So that's the nature of life. So whether you like it or not, you're gonna move, life is gonna move you forward. And whether you go with it and run with it or whatever, that, that's up to you, but it's not gonna wait for you. And you gotta just be ready for everything. I'm getting really philosophical today all of a sudden. This is wonderful. I love it. This I love is what it. happens on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it is. And we're talking creativity. So mm -hmm. I want, I want to touch on, um, I'm going to ask you the question and then I'm going to ask you a specific question. So the uh -oh. next question is how do you incorporate more creativity into your own life? But I would like you to start with, um, you playing music. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was another thing that was also, um, I commanded a the folk revival of the 60s. Again, I grew up right out of New York City. I used to go when I was in high school, I used to go over to Greenwich Village to the folk clubs and you know listen to folk singers. Um, at that point, really big stars like Bob Dylan, Simon and Garth, they had already passed, but I saw a number of other people that played and uh, and I was inspired that I played. I started playing guitar when I was in eighth grade not very well. Uh, fortunately, again, because my family's in the family business, they were struggling to get the business going. So I couldn't take lessons. And I've been totally, again, relied on myself, totally self-taught. I just watched what other people do and try to imitate it. And again, I, but I always kept that dream alive. And then, oh, going back again, 1911. I think it was uh, just before I was diagnosed with cancer. I said, oh, I said, you know, I should get back into that. And I went out and got myself a guitar and I just, but I always held on to it. And I, I was always there, always there, always there. And again, just like with the digital publishing, um, I had a friend who's a good friend of my best friend and he, my age, he's even older than me. We both ran businesses. And then once we got out of that, he went to New York, he started doing stand-up comedy. Wow. And he, and then he got into, he actually got his uh, SAG card and he's actually been in a couple of movies um he'd been directed by guys like robert de niro and he's not a star i mean no he doesn't even get a credit but he he did that and then one time he, he we i went into it and he was talking about oh you know he was doing a stand-up comedy routine and he says oh i'm going to be doing an open mic i go what the hell is an open mic he goes oh you just go up there and you do whatever you want i go oh, never heard about that before he says yeah you could do that and i said oh can you do that with singing oh yeah and a couple of times i went to a few places where we had open mics and i'm saying well I can do that. These guys, they're better than I am because I haven't played in a while, but I think I can do that. And I got back into it and uh, moved down to Cape May and I was down here. And uh, all of a sudden I was in a music store getting my guitar restrung. And there was this thing for, if you ever come down here, go to the Colt Spring Brewery and uh, uh, they have an open mic on Friday nights. In fact, normally tonight I would be doing it, but I'm doing this instead. And uh, I said, oh, let me go down there. And three years ago, I went and I had three songs to, you know, all right, let me play me these three songs. And I did it. And it was like, wow, I never thought, you know, you get up there, you're not on a stage, you're in a bar, but you're like, you know, you're up there on a stage and, and doing it. And uh, three years later, I mean, now I, you know, I have a big portfolio of songs, but I just still go there, play, you get your, uh, your open mic, your 15, 20 minute set. So you do maybe four or five songs and but it's fun and you get to meet some other people who are playing and that's what started. And then about, Oh, six or seven months ago, there was another, uh, it was an actual theater in a way. This woman opened up called the end of the road theater in North Cape May. And it's actually a regular theater where you have seats to sit in and you go up on a stage. And just last night they had, she, every end of the month, she has a local talent night and you got up there and, mm -hmm. and here I am doing my thing again. And it's like, wow, I never thought that I would be able to do this, but again, I hadn't kept that alive. I just said, ah, that's it. And it's never going to happen. Boom. Forget about it. But it was always inside that was there. And when the, and when I saw an opportunity, I said, okay, this is where I have to make my move. So between that and the writing, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a good spot now. 
you know, from that. So, and in, in, in effect, I'm saying it took me six, well, I'm 68 and a half, but a few years ago when I started, so it took me all of this time to get here and thank God I'm, I was able to live this long to do it. But, um, you know, again, um, goes back to what I was saying and just hang and keep the dream alive. You never know. You never know. You never know. You, make, you know, go ahead. You don't have to know the how. It's like yeah. you don't know the how. You just knew that this was something that you enjoyed. And then it kind of presented itself at different parts along the way. And I guess tell me how it feels. I want to hear more ways that you incorporate creativity into your life, but I do want to hear from you. What does it feel like when you're up on the stage? Can you describe that feeling? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, we're getting off books and into playing on stage and I go in and so many people tell me um oh, I could never do that my god how can you go up there and be on stage in front of all of these people and I tell them I said you know the safest spot is up there on the stage mm -hmm. and people say what do you mean I said because that's you're safe up there that's your space you're up there you're not here with everybody else once you get up there yeah before I go on I'm as nervous as anything I'm a shit the minute I get up there and I'm standing, I'm getting the mic and just in the mic, maybe I'll say a few words to the audience. And, and after like halfway through the first song, I just kind of like, it just kind of like it all condenses and, um, and I'm just up there and I'm having a good time. And it's like, you're just into your own little world and don't worry about those people out there. Half the people don't know what you're doing and they think, wow, they're just listening. And if you miss a chord change or something, they don't really know. The only people that might know are the other players that are there and, and they have the same problem. Uh, like last night, it was up at the stage and this one guy started a song halfway through it. He forgot the words. He just stopped because this is one of my favorite songs. I, I forgot it. And you think, oh my God, that must be, yeah. But it's like, you know, you just kind of like let it, let it roll. It's like, yeah, well that happens. And uh, you know, if you, again, if you let stuff like that bother you, then, then you don't get that. You have to, I guess, you know, that's an old saying that they say now stepping out of your comfort zone but if you want to achieve mm -hmm. something uh, sometimes that's what you have to do whether it's on stage or whether you're getting the books published you know I, i've had people say that to me oh how could you write this personal stuff and then uh, anybody can you know that's you know that's because that's what i wanted to do i felt like you know um another level of like going back to the whole onion thing another level is yeah, i just wanted to say hey uh when i leave this world I'm leaving something of myself behind me. Okay, I have a child, but like most people, well, I have a kid. That's you know, but I'm leaving something creative that somebody else might make benefit of. That's why I do it. I not only do it for myself, but it's also hey, people will read this stuff and say, hey, I guess I'm not the only one that feels that way, or hey, I've thought this way before. Oh wow, this guy feels the same way. Wow, you know. So that means yeah, we're because we're all connected. I mean, it's like you know, we. Uh, one of my biggest themes is about uh, when I write poetry and some of this the connection between an individual and the world we live in. And this is, again, a theme that everybody has talked about, you know, we do so many things to wall ourselves off from everybody. And then we wonder why we're, you know, on our own. And it's like, you know, I try to, that's why I try to, a lot of people say my poems are kind of dark and in a way they are, but it's also a way that that's part of life. It's part of the human condition. And anybody can do cheery stuff. But when you kind of get really into the nitty gritty, 
And it's like, uh, I say stuff that people will say, wow, I felt that way, but I can never express it or I can never say that because, you know, I'm, mm. too, I'm afraid to say it or I'm too embarrassed to say it. So I say it for them. <clears throat> you know? What's You're making me think of, um, there's a word that I want to say first before I forget, which is perfectionism. Mm. When people, when you were talking about getting up uh, and playing and the person forgot the words, People yeah. get so caught in things having to be perfect and whatever that looks like in people. Especially world, in this, yes, especially in our, yeah, in this society, the way we're at, I've seen it because, again, coming from the '60s, we sort of got away from that, you know. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea of not perfection because we had everybody had to be the tie and a hair comb perfectly in a suit. Yeah. And we got away from that, and now what I see is it's all coming back again. I mm-hmm. look on the TV every day, and you'll you'll know what I'm saying all these commercials and it's like, oh, all this grooming product and this hair product and shave this and do that and perfect grooming and hey, you know, and it's men too now. I mean, the old days, it was mostly geared towards women. Now it's men too. Everybody's got to have the perfect body, have the six pack abs, go out to the gym, have the perfect, you know, you're gonna drive everybody in this world, in this country, nuts or in the Western society, because it's like, everybody's trying to have this, and and you can't live up to that because nobody is. Yeah, and yeah, everybody's yeah. afraid to admit that. Oh, I'm not perfect, and then that's where you get that spiral into yourself. I gotta be perfect, but being perfect means limiting yourself to this little narrow yeah. frame of reference. And yeah. Then, and then that's where again you miss out on things. You say, okay, I did that, and then you look back and you're like, well, great, I had the perfect body or I had the perfect this, but beyond that, what else? You know. You just and I can't think of the famous person's name um, before she really became famous. Uh, she was a drug addict, she, a drug addict, she, you know, um, divorced, all this kind of stuff. Writer, just what wasn't yeah. pretty. She's a writer and she's a public, and she's a motivational speaker. Um, nah, her, name, her name, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her name will download to me, but I bring it up because she, <clears throat> she, ta- she writes and talks about these things that are uncomfortable that uh-huh. people don't like to talk about um, because uh-huh. it's embarrassing to say. So the way that she presents is she said that it all started when this Facebook quiz came around and you answer 25 questions and she just kind of answered them and then sent them off. And then she walked away and then she had seven calls on her phone from her sister, which usually means she screwed up in some way. <laughs> so she's like, oh my God, what did I do? What happened? And her sister's like, what kind of answers did you give on Facebook to this yeah. thing? And she answered things like, um, you know, being in rehab and just, you know, uh, you know, wanting a hit, but she knew she wasn't going to take it. Just all of these things. So she was just like, oh my God, I screwed up. Like I shouldn't yeah. have done that. But then she started getting all these direct messages of people saying me too, me too, because she was the one that was brave enough to say it as uncomfortable and as messy and as ugly as it is and imperfect as it is, she was perfectly, it just kind of came out. But then all these people hide beneath their layers and then they felt safe. Yeah. So that, that's what you're doing. So can you read to us actually a little bit? Do you have your book where you could just open up a page and give us a little sample of your writing? Okay, uh, well, I had two books of poetry. Uh, let me see. I want to because people like to say that, oh, your poetry is. Uh, uh, Glennon Doyle. Sorry, that's her name. Glennon Doyle. It just downloaded. <laughs> I'm trying to. 
Um, just trying to see something that might be something that's a little longer. Here's one of those, uh, call this 360 degrees. This is uh, sort of uh, leads us to what we were talking about. Okay. Maybe again, uh, I deal a lot with alienation, isolation, and like I said, but it's quite, it's just, <laughs> okay. uh, and again, uh, anyway, 360 degrees. I remember feeling dead and alone as the winter drained away all life, but soon the warmth of spring arrived and life began to revive. I remember the feel of spring, warm and new and alive, then followed the heat of summer and life continued to thrive. Summer continued to spread its spell and so life all around, but the spell of life was soon broken and scattered along the ground. That's like leaves, that's there. Then came the frost of fall, cold and hard and dead, as, some, as winter returned quickly and seals, sealed life's fate again. So here I stand once again amid the marble gray, and I feel the same way I felt a year ago today. Now you say, well, okay, on one level, it's, mm. it's about a person who's obviously not really moving, but at the same time, it's sort of a human, human and nature kind of thing. You notice nature yeah. is changing constantly, but this yeah. person is still the same way, you know, which is again, you see the seasons are changing all around. Life is happening. This person says, ah, I'm still the same way I was a year ago. Everything else has changed, but I'm still the same. Wow. Thank you, know? you for reading that, which it's not really possible for us to be the same because we are evolving. I think it goes back to me to what you said earlier is that we miss it. Well, I say some of us are evolving and some of us don't. Um, one of my favorite poets, because I grew up with him, Bob Dylan, of course, everybody knows who Bob Dylan is. And he always, one of his lines and one of his songs is like, he not busy born is busy dying. Mm. You know, sort of almost the same way. That's exactly what it is. You know, either you move ahead, yeah. you continue, uh, or then you're just going to slowly wither away. And Yeah. You know, wow. Um, I had another one here. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Hold on. Let me see here. Uh, a lot Loving. of it is like... Everybody, we're getting our own poetry reading here. I'm sorry. You're good. Oh, I know that. I know the one I want to read, and now I can't. Isn't that the way it happens? I don't want to take up too much time. If I can't find her, then I won't. Okay, I won't. so you'll find it. So uh, as oh, here you, it is, statue. Oh, okay, here it is. good. Okay. This is another thing. This is called statue. And I'll read it, and then I'll explain it. It says, when I speak, you, don't, you do not hear me. When I question, you do not answer. Your silence echoes through me. I stand waiting for a reply. And it's like, again, we look for answers. So the person's in a museum looking at a statue. We go into these places and think, well, maybe we're going to get an answer to life or something like that. And this person's looking for an answer, but there's none forthcoming. So I just thought that was an interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, that when we go in there, it's like, oh, you just sound good. Let's face it, we go into a museum or so. We're always looking for something to explain things, you know, to it. And then we're never going to get that explanation. But I just thought that was, you know. But I have to say, when you when you do, there's two ways that I heard that. One is that mm -hmm. as if you're talking to a person and maybe it's with a spouse or a partner, 
and you're frustrated because they're not giving you, they're almost like a statue. They're not giving you back what you're asking. You are good, Hollis, because that's exactly how it originally started. <laughs> I mean, that's- You are good. That's well, exactly how it was. I was thinking about, I hate to say it, going back. Yeah. Thinking about my ex and say that's exactly how it was, talking to another person. But then I figured, ah, I didn't want to get into that. Then I thought about it more. I said, maybe that person is like a statue or talking to a statue, yeah. and in fact, a statue. And again, take because- it. Take it. Because they're you frozen. Are receptive. Well, <laughs> you get an you. A, you get an A for this course. <laughs> thank you. It's the it's a, it's the looking the looking yeah. on these deeper levels, but it's yeah. there's that aspect of it. But then there's also when I go to an art museum or just go out and I find that I'm looking out, the answers are inside. Even if I'm waiting to get it from somebody else, and I love my husband dearly, and um, he most probably won't listen to this <laughs> just because, but when I get frustrated with him because he's not giving me something back that I'm waiting for, it's really within me. It's kind of like, Hollis, what are you getting so annoyed about? First of all, the answers are really within you. And if you really want something from him or anybody else, then you just have to straight up ask him very clearly and precisely and tell him what you need. And then if you're not getting it, then express what you need. But the most satisfaction I've gotten really is an understanding that looking out, looking out for these answers, it really is inside. It's just opening myself up or opening oneself up, but I'll speak for myself, opening myself up to listen instead of getting all this stupid other chatter in the way, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I'm not gonna argue with that point. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing on that. I, that was, yeah. that was really great. So. Is there any other ways that you want to express where in ways in life that you incorporate more creativity into your own life? Do you have, do you have any kind of a morning routine that you do for yourself? No, I, I, I sometimes I, I, this is where maybe I kind of go off the beaten path with, uh, with people who write, because uh, I've talked to some writers and it's, oh, you have to write every day or, you know, or else you're not a writer. And I say, well, if you're working on a book and you might have to do that, but you know sometimes it's you can't force. Again, going back to creativity, you can't force creativity. You can't just sit down and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to write." Like they sometimes, I'll write 1,500 words a day. Doesn't matter. You know, now to me, if you write 1,500 words, you're writing 1,500 words. It may mean nothing. Uh, um, you know, a writer friend of mine who was working on poetry. <clears throat> They came up with this idea of writing something every day, a poem every day. And I said, well, that's good, except that then you're just forcing yourself to write about something that may or may not mean anything. You know, you just want to put it so that it's like, now you're becoming more mathematical about it. It's like, all right, I'm going to do this because I have to do it. But is there any creativity there? Rather, now, granted, the opposite side is you just can't sit around and wait for creativity to bonk you on the head. You do have to have a certain set. But Sometimes it'll happen if you kind of like keep stirring the pot, but to just say every day, I'm going to do this uh, to me, I, I just, I can never, I could never sort of fall into that uh, thing. Sometimes you have days when it's like, you know, we've all heard of this, of writer's block. Well, if you have writer's block, then you're not going to be writing anything because <laughs> you have nothing to write about. And that's what happens. Sometimes you just have to keep stirring the pot and something will come up mm-hmm. and then you take it from there. Uh, but to just, mechanically say I'm going to do something every day 
Um, that's not it. So I don't, I don't work like that. And the beauty about poetry, uh, especially the idea, is the fact that you can keep a poem in your brain and work it around and keep <laughs> having it go round and around in your brain and in your mind and without necessarily even having to write it down. I mean, sometimes uh, go out for a walk or stuff like that and all of a sudden a thought will come into my head and, you know, just sort of like start you know, uh, running it around or if I'm out, shouldn't say it if I'm not that I'm driving, but if I'm out and my wife is driving, something happened and all of a sudden I could just sit there and I could start running things through. I don't have to write it down. It's in my mind. Going back to what I said, a lot of what I wrote down for these other books were things I had written many years ago, but I, they were all, I had to just mm. kind of squeeze it out and say, okay, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. I started writing it like this and maybe I've changed it a bit because now that was written back then and now that, but yeah, I'm still, uh, had to remember a lot of the stuff that I'd written down at one time. It was a interesting uh, way of approaching it, but, but I, you know, routine, uh, no, I, I'm one of those people. I don't believe that, you know, like I said, <coughs> I've had people, oh, I don't sit down and write every day. I don't think that's an absolute necessary necessity. Um, yeah. You have to keep the thing going, but you can't force creativity, but neither can you wait it, wait until it hits you. You know? Yeah. There's that little, like you said, stirring the pot. Yeah. Stirring that's the what pot. Tension. What you need is that tension uh, between, you know, this, this half and that half that will get you to that creative spot. If you go to one, side or the other then you kind of lose it you know mm. yeah and I really think it's important something that you mentioned too where you said well if you don't do this you're not a writer yeah well I'm bs like yeah. come on really I mean not everybody has the same way of doing things and this is where this is what makes me nuts is where we get into these labels it's well you're a writer if you do things this way you're a business person if you do things this way you're it, it just we put ourselves in these, in these small little boxes and anybody who's out of the box, then you kind of say, well, you don't fit into that, but, yeah. but no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're breaking out, breaking out of the box. And I, I appreciate what you just said about needing tension between each that's half. Really that's really creative impulse comes from, it's like, you know, what we used to call the head and the heart or the real and the ideal. You have these two poles. If you go too far one side, you become too mechanical, like I was talking, or too far to the other side, and you just wait for it. You've got to bring those two tensions. Like uh, that's how electricity is created. You got the plus, you got the minus. Yeah. You don't have electricity with either or. You have to bring them both together to get to that third point, uh, as they used to say. You know. Yeah. To get you know, and that's that's what you need. And 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 it's if there's anything, it's keeping that tension alive which is the hard part because it's easy to fall into one side or another and uh, and that and, and so if there's anything I mean that's that's one thing to think about keeping that you know because a lot of uh, going back to when I was taking poetry classes like a lot of the Rome uh, not uh, rom romantic writers but like people like Wordsworth Cole original that's what they were really talking about was trying to get to a higher state of of consciousness and you need that remember I had one poetry teacher he, that's what he all talked about the real the ideal and the third point that you have to get to yeah you go either a side